ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 Purpose Girls. So I don't know about you, but there's something that scares the poop out of me. And I'm a little bit ashamed to admit it, but I'm going to admit it to all of you because my guest today is going to help all of us. And this fear is that I am absolutely terrified or really just confused by the whole financial market thing. Like this was not talked about at all when I was a kid. This was not a topic of conversation even with my first husband. I just know it's kind of something I'm supposed to do. Years ago, I got a financial planner because you're kind of supposed to. And he takes a certain amount of money and every month or quarter or whatever it is, puts it somewhere. And then I get these reports and I honestly don't even know what they're talking about. So I need today's episode personally. And I have the exact right person who is going to help us with this. Hillary Hendershot is a certified financial planner and is a leading fiduciary financial advisor, business owner, podcast host, and wealth coach with over 18 years of industry experience. She leads her clients and audiences to financial freedom from her own experiences and expertise. Despite hard work and effort, Hillary found herself in debt at one point, so we're going to learn about that on her own wealth journey. But then she discovered the keys to a new kind of financial freedom that allowed her to transform her life from self-made chaos to abundance. She grew a seven-figure practice, earned financial freedom, and dedicated her professional life to empowering others to be free of constraints around money. In particular, Hillary found a need and a niche with us women that there's a lot of women like me, I guess, out there who really need this help. So she has been featured in the Wall Street Journal. She has had a TEDx talk about the surprising power of language to make you rich. She's been on NBC, CBS, Fox Money. I mean, you name it. Hillary is where it's at with money and taking that risk. And so, Hillary, welcome to the Purpose Girl podcast. Wow, what an intro. I am so happy to be here. Mm. Sounds like we're doing some free financial counseling today. <laughs> oh, God, here we go. <laughs> See how that works? I can just get someone on my show and then we can talk about it. It's like, isn't perfect. it amazing? It's amazing, you know? So, so you're known as the profit boss, right? You've got like this. And, I call my listeners profit bosses, but yeah, sure. I'll I'll be the self-anointed profit boss. <laughs> well, you've got it. Like I'm the purpose girl and I've got all my purpose girls with me, you know? So what is going on here with women? Am I alone? No, no. Where, where you're at is, unfortunately, you know, everything follows the Pareto principle. So if I had to guess, 80% of women feel exactly the same way about mm. not just money, but also investing. And I think, unfortunately, we've got this, there's sort of the old gender-based roles, right? Like we need to be the nurturing givers and wanting money is selfish or greedy. So there's this strongly held belief that in my opinion is nonsense. Um, and then, and then, 
you know, Wall Street kind of created the language around the stock market and it's very like ego based and it's very polysyllabic and it's sort of designed to be dominating in its nature and its feeling. Right. And so mm -hmm. women don't they don't resonate with it. And you can't take the time to understand it. But I'll tell you, I was working in this industry for probably six, seven years before I felt super comfortable with the stock market and talking mm. about it, understanding how to break it up into categories. And not I don't even need to touch most categories because there's only one category I'm interested. And that's the one that's evidence-based. And I'm sort of getting ahead of myself. But you don't have to know everything to know a lot and to do exactly the right thing for yourself. Well, thank goodness, because when I watch the TV screen, right, like a CNBC or whatever, whichever one it is, and you see at the bottom all these little letters coming across. The ticker tape. You know, mm -hmm. The ticker tape. And is it up? Is it down? It's like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. And, and it does seem like a foreign language. And it's very validating for me that you're saying that this is a language that was really created. Um kind of for us to not understand it or just create it yeah. in a way that that anyone who's not in it can't really get. So, so you know, why do you think women fear this so much? Um, I think that women, like, look, going far enough back, we might be talking about something evolutionary or socioeconomic or, or deeply held that I might not be qualified to talk about. But when it comes, when you come to the line, when we're talking about the stock market and Wall Street, women are afraid to do the wrong thing and lose money. Mm -hmm. And women haven't historically, we haven't related to ourselves like we're good at math or numbers. Unfortunately, there was a hypothesis out there that boys were better than girls at math. By the way, that's been disproven. But I think the belief has still sort of stu stuck in our brains. You know, there was a T-shirt that came out. Uh, Hot Topic is a clothing store that made a T-shirt said something about math class is too hard or something. And the feminists raised up and said, what's that nonsense? And Hot Topic right. took the t-shirt off the shelves. I can't remember exactly what was on Ooh. this t-shirt. And, and I believe there was a Barbie doll also that said, I don't do math. I do Corvettes or something like that. Ooh. I was like, what? Oh, ouch. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. all of that. But, but yeah. yeah. Well, what's interesting, and I don't have this study in front of me, but I know that I read that actually girls score higher in math up until a certain grade. And then it shifts. And I, I don't know if it's around middle school. My husband is a, was a middle school teacher for 20 years. And oh, really? He would just notice. Yeah. He would notice a difference between fourth and fifth grade girls and sixth and seventh grade girls that all of a sudden around that puberty age, girls stop raising their hand as much. They take more time to think about the question. Boys will just answer anything, whether they are right or not. And that girls at that point want to not look stupid, you know, to boys or to the other girls. So I think you're onto something there. And then we end up thinking that we're just not good at math or we end up thinking that we don't know anything about the markets. And so let's just hide, at least for me, like, and I'm just totally outing myself here. Let me hide from it. And instead of really knowing it. And what's interesting, and I wanted you on the show because I came into this year, 2019, and the number one thing I said I was going to do was to really get on top of my finances. And Good for you. I made my word for the year, hashtag boss babe. And Josh for Valentine's Day got me a journal with that on it, hashtag boss babe. And that's really for me what it's about. Like we upped, we started, we up levels our accountant and who we're working with and spending a lot more money on that. Like, I just want to really understand things differently. So you talk about really seven steps to wealth. So 
Can you break this down for us a little bit? Yeah. So the point of having a framework, and by the way, it's not like like this framework works and I know that it works because I've pulled women through it in a coaching program and we produce massive results, but I'm not saying like this is the only framework that works, but this one works. So, and the point of the framework is to have easy to understand steps and to point out to people why so many people fail financially is because most people are only focused on one step and that's earn right? Mm. And that's that's the fifth step in my framework. And we all know stories of lottery winners or NFL players or professional actors who come into tens of millions of dollars and then lose it all. So they've got the earn step mastered, but it's the other steps they don't have. And so you mentioned uh, in, in when you introduced me that I, I am pretty open about the fact that I had my own financial transformation. So I was an overspender and I was a certified financial planner at the same time. So knowing the math and understanding the stock market doesn't mean you have the other steps handled. And Mm. what happened was I just got really clear that the things that were happening in my life didn't work for me, that the credit card debt and, and not being able to afford my mortgage and having a really really low credit score was like not how I wanted my life to go. So Mm. I started talking to myself and I said, okay, whatever I've been doing, I'm just going to do it differently. Like from here on out, whatever, I'm just going to turn this whole thing on its ear. And so I, and when looking back on that moment, I know that I made a decision to be rich. I made a decision to get myself out of debt, to have a successful financial life. So the first step to wealth is really decide. And I know that that's conceptual, um, but it is a necessary but not sufficient condition to wealth. <laughs> right. Well, there's probably a lot of people out there going, yeah, okay, Hillary, I, I'm I'm deciding right now mm-hmm. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm deciding. Yeah. And yet, because I made the same decision about purpose. Yeah. Like I'm just deciding it's non-negotiable. And this was, for me, I had a gun to my head and it's, you know, a longer story, but literally I was robbed at gunpoint. And so I just made a decision. Like I'm not going to die this way. And so- Talk us through the decision for anyone out there who's like, okay, but I made the decision and I'm still not. Something else is going on there. You probably haven't. So listen, so I I use this story. So imagine your boyfriend invites you to move to a faraway city. If you live in a warm climate, it's in a cold climate. If you live in a cold climate, it's in a warm climate. It's a big decision. And so immediately you go into inquiry. Am I going to move? right? What's that going to be like? Can I get work? Will I like it there? Will I be able to see my family, right? You're, you're, dis- you're, you're thinking about it. You're considering. But, but when you decide, everything changes, mm. okay? When you decide, what happens then? Well, you pick up the phone and you call your mom or you call your friends or you start looking at weather.com and figuring out what kind of clothes you're going to need to buy, right? You book yeah. a plane ticket, you start packing, you, you tell your job. Yes, you, a decision, go for it. a true decision informs your actions. You get into action right away, right? Look, I, like I have all the compassion in the world, but if you're sitting there in your car on the train going, okay, Hillary, I decided. Well, my question is to you, to you is, well, then what actions did you take? If you truly decided your view of life changed and altered and a new, a new series of actions made themselves available to you, so what did you do? Um, and if you, if you didn't take any new actions, then it's more like a want than a decision. Right, right. This is so, this is so smart. This is so smart. It sounds simple, right? Yeah. But it really is very smart that it starts with it. And this is why everything really does start with your mindset. 
you know, because you might in your mind say, I am, I'm deciding today, Hillary, I'm going to become financially wealthy. But then some other part of your mind might say, who do you think you are for that? Or you're so greedy or some of the other things that you mentioned. Yeah. But a decision does, those other voices don't matter once you've made a decision, right? Yeah. It's like you're, they don't get to, they don't get to drive the car. You, exactly. you do. So, okay. So number one, we're making a decision. Mm-hmm. Kind of like my hashtag going into this year. Your your boss babe for the year. My boss babe for the year, right? Profit boss. Uh, uh, I'm going to be a profit boss now. Um, one of your gals. So, and then someone introduced us to an accountant and then I saw his prices and I was like, are you crazy? But I knew I really, like I knew he was the right person for us. Mm. So the decision meant I'm I'm really going to go for it. And we did end up using him. So, so what's number two here? Number two is speak. And mm. So then, and this really was the topic of my TEDx talk, the surprising power of language to make you rich. What what we have the opportunity to notice is the words that we're saying to ourselves about money. And what neuropsychologists already know is that our language gives us our experience of life. Your experience of your life is a function of the conversations that you're in most of the time with the people closest to you. So you're in a network of conversations. Now, for most of us, we don't talk to other people about money. And unfortunately, if you're in a marriage, which is a financial partnership, too many of us are in contentious conversation about money, right? It's, it's a conversation that doesn't work or isn't collaborative or um, is even fight inducing. Yes. So, um, so we, if you really get honest, what are the things you're saying to yourself about money? And some of the things we tend to say about money are, it shouldn't be about the money. There's never enough money. I'm never going to earn more money. Money is for evil people. Money is for evil people. If if I if I if I charge my if I charge higher prices, I'm taking more money from my clients, and that's bad. Like it like money is a zero sum game. I have guilt about money. And what I did was I just really got when I decided I was going to alter everything about my financial experience. I got really clear. Like I have math skills. I have good intentions. I have terrible results. So what what am I doing wrong? It's my behavior. Right. So what what let me go figure out what's what's the body of research that's out there. And the neuroscientists, like I said, already know that your language is so critical, contextual and foundational when it comes to your money. So my Mm. money operating system and I trademarked this term money operating system because the money operating system gives everything about the how the computer runs. Right. the, The computer doesn't do anything without the operating system. And it's the same way in your relationship with money. So you uh, as a young child, money is very conceptual. Money is a very grown up topic. It's not a thing. Money doesn't exist in reality, by the way. It has no nature in reality. It doesn't have any characteristics or traits. We made it up. It is a conversation. A one hundred. I love this, Hillary. Money simply solves a problem that economists call the double coincidence of wants. So, if you have cattle and I have chickens, and I want your cattle, you have to want my chickens, and that's mm-hmm. a problem. Now, if I have something that represents that you can buy something that you want later, I can trade you for it now, and that's all money is. That's it, right? And but we have, and then we forgot we made it up, and we basically went nuts about it. Like so many people are crazy about money. So, but it comes from childhood. So conceptual ideas like this are very difficult for children. So you're five, six, seven years old. What is this thing called money? Adults keep talking about. And then someone says something about money and you decide, ah, that's what's true about money. That's what money Mm. is. And for a lot of us, 
that was something like money doesn't grow on trees or <laughs> we can't afford that or there's never enough money. Right. That's, right. that's I would say, 80% of our reality. You just nailed inside of my old head. I mean, yeah. I've done some money story work, but you just nailed it, right? It's like you were inside of my household growing up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, there are many other money operating systems you'll be surprised to know. Some people have, there's always enough money. And interestingly, that's actually not a great money operating system either, because if you think there's always enough money, you never pay attention to how much there actually is. Mm. And so people like that can get kind of fooled by their own thinking that there is enough. And if they don't check in, they can actually make really, really costly mistakes. Um, there are people who have money as a tool, money as a resource, so very pragmatic about money. There, There's um, money makes me powerful, money gives me power, or money makes me people like me. So you see people who drive the flashy cars and wear the flashy clothes and always have the brand name bag. Those people are buying approval or power with money. Right. Okay. Right. This is so, I mean, this would be like an hour of conversation yeah. on itself. This is so powerful. <laughs> and I did watch your TED talk and ah. you know, this, yeah, it, it's, it's so powerful. And so there's, you know, I've heard it called a money story is kind of getting familiar with the story you tell yourself. And I love what you're talking about here, that it's our neural pathways, that whatever you heard when you were younger, your brain is conditioned now to believe that but it doesn't have to be. That's true. That's true. And uh, I, I get so frustrated when I hear some money coaches say, well, talk with your partner about your past, your what happened in your childhood about money, as if you're stuck with that, right? Mm. Oh, this is who I am about money. Well, no, that's who you turned out being, but it's only a function of the conversation that you are about money. You can actually unravel that and create a new conversation. Oh, I love this. Yeah. I love because when you were three, you didn't have a you didn't have a thought about money. No, why should you be stuck with a five-year-old, what a five-year-old made up about money? Amen. <laughs> Girlfriend, a woman. I love this. Okay. So we're, so, so we speak differently. Do we write a new story of how we want to see money? I work with my clients to transform their money operating system over time. In my experience, it takes a combination of being honest and transparent about what you're currently saying about money and then altering the reality of money. Just as an example, if you take someone who says there's always, excuse me, whose money operating system is there's never enough money, and then you actually show her how to and get very specific with her about how to alter her, how she manages her cash flow. So now she's saving money instead of spending it. She's paying off the credit card debt instead of increasing it. She sees the flow of her accounts go up, 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 up over time because you're setting up an automation system that increases her net worth. Well, now in reality, there is enough money. So it's mm. no longer true that there's never enough money. And it's this massive cognitive dissonance. So people can't hold two contradicting thoughts in the in this in the brain at one time. So if you actually create a new reality in your experience, your money operating system is like, whoa, does not compute. Obviously not true. We're gonna have to create something new about money. I love this. I love this. So we're not, you're not telling people just start walking around going, money is the, you know, making up a, a new story. It's doing the actual practical work and tools that you help women with to create a new reality, which then becomes your new story. Yeah. I use this phrase about affirmations. And if they work for you, great. More power to you. I love that. They don't work for me. For me, it's like icing on a mud pie. Um, uh, it's like, I can say anything I want. I could say, oh, I crave egg whites and broccoli over cheese pizza, but that ain't true. 
<laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> for me, it takes a little more work. And I know that I can do this with my clients consistently because I've created this system. Uh, and it takes a little bit of time, but but you can sure. implement it too. Yeah. Okay. But this is, you know, this is how the brain actually loves evidence. So when you have hard evidence, right, which is why just plain old affirmations like that don't work. When you have the hard evidence, oh, wait, my bank account is starting to shift. Wait, the debt is going down. Now you can shift. Okay, so number three. Plan. Number three, plan. plan and um, refer back to what I said about this automation system. If we're helping someone manage her cash flow and finances so that her net worth is going up, you can create a plan, a system that I call Profit Boss Automation, that through a series of monthly or bi-monthly automatic transfers, money comes into one, one account, all your bills get paid, all your consistent bills get paid, your savings happens automatically for short and long-term goals, and now what's left over is what you can spend. Mm. You would never leave your house headed for your girlfriend's if you didn't know the address of her home, okay? Mm. You, would never, you would never start out on a trip like that without a plan, but most people engage in their entire financial life with no plan. So you, you definitely need a roadmap to success. And that's the first practical step. The first two were pretty conceptual, right? So that's the, we got to get practical. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love this. So so we have to actually make the plan. And the way you just said that, it was like, well, yeah, this is very simple. The money comes in. It automatically goes where it needs to go. We have this wonderful technology. And then you spend, like mm -hmm. you were saying. Yeah. That's where people go wrong is they manage their savings by what's left over after they spend. But if you mm -hmm. want to win the money game, just plan to save first and spend what spend what's left. Yes, you know this is so interesting. So my mom actually is a mathematician. Oh yeah. So my mom was a college math professor my whole life, and she taught me from never taught me about the stock market, and I definitely want us to to talk about that. Um, but she did teach me about some aspects of money, and what she taught me is when you make money, you put the bulk in savings and you keep like 20 bucks for yourself. So I waited tables all through college. And so she had me literally stop by the ATM. Now, now I understand how stupid this was, except it worked. It was fine. Don't do this at home, everybody. But I would put my tips, my wad of cash tips into the ATM, but I would keep 20 bucks then to go meet my friends for a beer, right? But it, it I saved all this money. Yeah. And so when I graduated from college, I had $7,000 of savings. And you know, that's pretty awesome for, you know, for a young person. And so it's putting this, putting it into savings first. Yes. And by the way, if you wait tables and you get paid in cash, I don't see what's wrong with that plan, what you did. Seems oh, no, fine. no, no. Putting it into an ATM, is that a good idea? Yeah. You, yeah. You got to get rid of it. What do you okay. want? What do you want people to do? Walk into the bank? That's no, I don't know. Oh. I didn't know. If it, I, I, you know, now I think, oh, is it a good idea to just put cash into it? Great. You've just Awesome. Okay, so I did I did the right thing. So I would I would put a lot of cash into that ATM. Okay, that was a good thing. Now I'm hearing. All right, we've decided mm -hmm. we're changing our language. Mm -hmm. We are going we're plan we have a plan and now what do we do? Okay, so now you have a plan and so the mm -hmm. the the trajectory is what the trajectory is. If you're saving $1000 a month, well your net worth is going to grow by $12,000 plus any earnings a year, okay? So now we want to expand that. We want to grow that. And so the fourth step is ask. So mm. ask involves making bigger and bigger requests of the world. There's a million ways that you can ask 
for ways to expand your financial life. You can ask for a business partner or a joint venture. You can ask your husband or, or wife to come to the negotiate to the financial planning table with you. You can mm. ask for a discount. You can ask for a raise. You can raise your prices, right? You can create a new revenue stream. Any entrepreneur, you're constantly asking. We're asking every day. Someone on my team reached out to your team and said, hey, we're asking to come on your show, right? Yep. It's all about making bigger and bigger asks in the world mm. and making this a habit, right? So integrating it into your thought patterns and being someone who constantly asks. I recently hired an, a new client services director and she is fantastic. Every time she gets on the phone with a vendor, she asks for a discount. Now, I didn't mm. ask her to do that. It's just how she manages her own personal life. So she does it for me. And then she'll tell me at the end of the month how much she saved me this month. It's like, oh, that can't cut. <laughs> You're like, you're the best hire ever. Yeah. Right? What she's doing right there is proving her own value, which in this whole idea of ask, I find that this is a thing as women that we don't do as often, right? We don't speak our voice. We don't speak our truth. We're like afraid to ask for what we want. Not everybody out there. And this is so important that we actually ask for it. And then what she did was so brilliant. She bragged to you about what she does. Yeah. Right. And and I I have found that a lot of women I talk to are, you know, not programmed like that speaking well of yourself or bragging is, you know, it's arrogant or something like that. But I love it. So she's telling you, here's my value, Hillary. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And it's just something that comes natural to her. And I'm, I mean, I think I'm going to use her as a, I'm going to have her teach the folks in my coaching program. Like, look, how do you ask? <laughs> right, <laughs> she right. actually asks more than I do. I don't have a habit of asking for a discount when I get on the phone. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So really then finding where are the additional opportunities, both for revenue and for savings? Yeah, exactly. So increasing the top line does the same thing for your net worth as decreasing the bottom line. That's profit. That's why I call my show Profit Boss Radio. It's like profit is revenue minus costs in the business. That's the juice. That's why you get into business. But you also have to have profit in your personal life. So it has to be income minus spending is savings. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where you get to have freedom and choice and dignity and fun and vacations and all that stuff. Love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So we're out there asking mm -hmm. and and know that you may get rejected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I and that's okay. to go for a hundred no's. If you mm -hmm. get a hundred no's, I say to people, and I've never had somebody actually do it, like get to a hundred. If you go for a hundred no's, I promise you, you will have an unrecognizable life by the time you get to that hundredth no, right? Mm -hmm. It's because it's not about you. It's yes or no. Okay, great. Thank you for the no. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not personal. This has been a big part of my journey is kind of, is really getting over that mm -hmm. and knowing anytime you ask, I mean, they say that the average salesperson gets like 18 no's for every one yes. And so I love what you just said. Okay, thanks for the no. And let me move on. Mm -hmm. right? And that is part of the decision. Mm -hmm. Because then if you allow yourself, well, no, everybody's saying no to me, blah, blah. Now you're away from, you had made a decision. So now you're kind of backtracking on your decision. So your decision has to be, no matter how many no's I get, I'm still going for it. Yeah. And I was going to say life becomes more about how many times can I put myself in a situation where I can ask than, oh my God, I fear the no, right? My entire life, my, and my, my whole team knows about it. We have a weekly meeting about it. We have all the ways, we know exactly all the ways that I get to be in a position where I can ask for business. And their whole job is to get me in that position as many times a week as possible. And it's not, 
I get a yes, I get a no. I mean, we celebrate the yeses, but I certainly don't go home and cry about the no's. Oh, I love this. This is so good. This is so good. I really, this is like, I mean, this is not just like money therapy. This is like therapy because I think this, no, I think that this is something that we all can use, whether it's about money, it's about dating. It's like, let's not dwell on the no's. Let's keep going for the yes because you know what you want. Yeah. Okay. So we ask, then what do we do? Okay. So then obviously you earn uh, it. And this is the area of, of building wealth that most people focus on. People pay 20, 50, a hundred thousand dollars to be in a coaching program, a business coaching program. And it only focuses on earning. And then we wonder mm. why they don't become rich. Right. <laughs> so, but earning is good. You have, you do have to earn. It's a critical part of, um, it's a critical part of your of building your wealth. And, um, the key is to not get stuck thinking that what you earn now is what you'll earn forever or that your earnings are in any way limited. The earnings that you have today are a function of conversations and asks that you made in the past. So you can always alter those conversations and asks in the future and create a whole new earning experience for yourself. If you're a wage earner, you can take on building or learning a technical skill set. You know, there are coding boot camps that you go to for like a couple mm. a couple months and then you come out earning multiple six figures. Yep. It's, it's pretty dramatic, right? Right. So just really focusing on earning more consistently um, over time. And there are so many ways to earn money, right? Anytime somebody says to me, oh, I can't afford that. I'm like, okay, I can list for you right now 10 ways that you could go make money. Everything from what is in your basement, right? That you can put on eBay, yeah. you could have a garage sale. And not that that's like long-term earning, but you might be able to make a few hundred bucks today, right? Anything from that to do you have a skill that you could go offer? Can you go knock door to door and start, you know, it's raking leaves, mowing lawns. Like I'm not, it, there's a million ways. There's a million ways to make money tomorrow. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's really a question of are, are you willing? Are you willing to do the things that you need to do to go make it? Right. I have a friend who she says, whenever her girlfriends say, I can't afford that, she says, if you say so. And that's her. <laughs> <laughs> it is oh. what you say it is. You know, mm -hmm. and for most of us, we kind of have blinders on about how to earn, but I think you have a very empowered mindset about it. There are a million ways to earn money out there. And I'll tell you what, when you say, I can't afford that, what you are saying is that money is more powerful than you are. Yes. And if you believe that, it is true. Uh, that's one of the first things I tell my coaching clients, like you are absolutely disallowed from saying this. <laughs> oh, I love this so much. I love this so much. Um, Josh and I were shopping on Father's Day last year and I wanted, he doesn't, he doesn't spend a lot on himself and I wanted to take him to like a nice store. I wanted him to like pick out whatever he wanted, right? So of course, while he's buying and looking at his clothes, I spot a silk dress over in the corner, this white silk. It was like so like silky satiny, whatever the material. I'm like, all right, it's just just for fun. I'm going to go try it on. Of course, once I put it on my body, I'm like, I have to have this, right? And I look at the price tag. I'm like, are you crazy? That's more than your wedding dress was. No, we're not doing that, you know? And then I we walk out of the store without my dress. And I stopped about a half a block, Hillary. And I said to Josh, you know, I'm going to make that money. I'm going to make that money this week. Because the truth is, I've been sitting on some ideas that I have not been moving forward on. And so... We went back in. I said, what's the return policy? She said, 30 days. I said, great. If I haven't made this money in 30 days, then I will return it. I made seven times that amount of money. Nice. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, and I think that this is just what's possible. And we don't realize, because I'd been sitting on an idea that I just hadn't moved forward on. So there are so many ways to earn. 
And I love that dress, by the way, um, <laughs> that it's all possible. And so it's, I love what you're saying. You tell your coaching clients, you cannot say, so any of you listening out there, no more saying, I can't afford this. There are always the question is, how can I? So now we're earning then. Okay. So now you have earnings and you have your automation set up. So your short and long-term savings accounts are growing, growing, growing. Now you need to invest. And this is when you harness the power of compound returns through a professionally constructed investment portfolio. There are lots of ways to invest out there. Um, many of them are not good. There are ways okay. that are good. Okay. Okay, good. We've got a backup. I don't know what compound return means. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> so you've heard of exponential growth. So let's take, if I have $2 and it grows at 100%, it doubles. So two yes. goes to four. Now, same rate of return, 100% goes to eight. Then it's 16, then it's 32, then it's 64, then it's 128. The numbers start to Got get it. really big. So that's, uh, that's compound returns. Okay. Albert Einstein said, compound returns are the eighth wonder of the world. Poor people, poor people pay them and rich people earn them. Ooh. Okay. So when you have debt, you are paying compound returns to your credit card company. Right. But when you have investments, you are earning compound returns. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it's magic. Oh, good. It's magic. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is so good. Yeah. And like the numbers are still going up in my head. I'm like, this is really cool. They get okay, really big it. really quickly. The, you know that story about how many times does a penny have to double before you get to a million dollars or something? I don't want to screw this up, so I'm not going to take that any further, but it's like a month. If you double a penny every day for a month, you have a million dollars. No. I, 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 I'll, we gotta look, we I'll gotta Google this. We'll put it in the show notes. We're going to put it in the show notes. We're not talking about hundreds of years. So it's so much more possible than we realize. This is so cool. Okay. So, so now we invest and this is where, like you said, the word and, and my insides start kind of getting a little uh, like afraid because I have, I do have a financial planner. I know he's investing on my behalf, but I don't know how to invest. So how do we do this? Mm -hmm. So either way, either you take the time to go learn it and then you be responsible for your investment portfolio or you hire a professional. Okay. And there are good professionals out there and there are bad professionals, obviously. Lots of people in my industry before me have sort of done a bad job, right? So how you, I suggest when you go look for a financial planning professional that you look for a fee-only fiduciary. Looks, like, um, Let me explain both those terms. So one of the things people complain to me the most about, they call me and go, if I come in your office, are you going to try to sell me insurance? Are you going to try to sell me an annuity? Are you going to sell me mm. some proprietary product that I know has a commission, pays you a commission? So a fee-only advisor doesn't have any relationship with a bank brokerage or financial institution. I can't even take referral fees. For example, I sent a client to a, a real estate agent. She said, great, do you want part of the commission? I said, not only do I not want it, I legally can't take it. Mm. So I get no kickbacks. I only get paid by my clients. That's important right? Yeah. And I earn no, my clients never pay commissions. There are no front end loads, back end loads, nothing like that. And what a front end load is, is a cost to get into an investment and a back end load is a cost to get out of an investment. Those should not have any place in your financial life. So that's fee only. It's synonymous with commission free. The next word is fiduciary. Fiduciary means I've taken an oath to put my client's interests above my own. And mm. what that means is I've removed all the potential conflicts of interest from the relationship. Now, 
how you know someone is a fiduciary, they'll tell you I'm a fiduciary. If they work for a Wall Street bank or financial institution, Merrill Lynch, Edward Jones, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, any of these, they are not a fee-only fiduciary. That is a Wall Street financial advisor. They meet with their sales manager in the morning. That sales manager gives them a portfolio of proprietary products to sell. They meet with you and they sell them. Okay. Hmm. So I'm not saying that there aren't good people working at those institutions. It's just that they don't work for you. They work for the bank and you want a financial advisor who works for you. There's nothing wrong with commissions when you're talking about being a real estate agent. But when you're talking about comprehensive financial advice, if I say to you, go pay a lawyer $3,500 for a revocable living trust, you want to know that I'm saying that because I really think it's the right thing for you to do, not because that lawyer is paying me to say it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh, this is this is big. Okay. This is really important. Yeah. I yeah. think so. Who, I didn't know that, you know, and... I, I'm in my 40s and had no idea. So this is really important to take a look at ensuring that the person who's working on your behalf is really working on your behalf. Yeah, you want to know how your financial advisor gets paid. Got it. Got it. So you were looking for fee-only fiduciary. Yeah, exactly. Okay, got it. Got yeah. it. You are teaching me so much. I can't even. So thank you. I, thank I would you. say I would say 90% of people don't know this stuff. So you are not at all alone. And we have done, mm -hmm. we have tried to do this marketing campaign. Like those of us who are independents like me, who are fee-only fiduciaries, believe me, we're trying, we're fighting a good fight, but Wall Street has more money. You people, yeah. people have been giving Wall Street more of their money for many years. <laughs> their marketing is much bigger than mine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're right. They're marketing, they're lobbyists, they're right. And and I had thought, oh, it's better to pay a commission because then it never really comes out of my pocket. Like, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of a mindset now I'm hearing you and it's it's an interesting mindset. So we so we could do it on our own, right? Which means learning about investments ourselves mm -hmm. or it's working with somebody like you yeah. to do it on our behalf. Yep. And what should we expect when we're working with financial advisor? So I can't I can't speak broad strokes because financial advisor is not a term that's actually regulated. So there are actually ah. insurance agents who call themselves financial advisors. Kind of funny. So I offer comprehensive financial advice. So you set the strategy. You're the chief executive officer of your financial life, and I'm your chief financial officer. So you say to me, Hillary, we want to retire at age 60. We want to work from Italy from 50 to 52. We want to pay for the kids to go to school. What's it going to take? And I mm. give you those numbers. I tell you exactly what to do, exactly when to do it, right? And we partner together over time to course correct and make sure things happen. I also, right. as a certified financial planner, I offer advice on estate planning, insurance, taxes. I don't prepare tax returns, but I make sure nothing, I never contradict the tax person. So sometimes tax people will give advice that contradicts the investment person. Okay. I'm making sure that I'm coordinating the whole thing. So your whole financial picture works in concert. Okay. So I call myself a comprehensive fee, well, fee only fiduciary financial advisor. I know it's so many words. <laughs> it's okay. It's good because you're really like explaining this is particularly what I yeah. do. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned, I think we have one more step to go after invest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So what's that? And then I'll it, come to my next question. Okay. It's protect. So ah. once you've earned it and saved it and invest it, you have to build a moat around it. It's a castle, right? Mm. So don't let it go. And I said, don't do stupid stuff with your money. 
don't loan it to your family members if you can't afford, like loan a little bit, but don't loan a lot. Um, and also you need your insurances. So you need, if you're a parent, you need life insurance, you need homeowners, renters, auto insurance, health insurance. You probably need an umbrella policy. You got to load mm. up on these insurances and it can be hard to spend money on some future potential cost, but man, do you need it when you need it, right? Yeah. So right. you, don't, right. you, you do not want to end up in that situation where you do not have it. Yeah. I mean, once you're not broke and you have money, if you crash your car, guess who pays? It's yeah. you. <laughs> right, right, right. I I own a condo, not as an investment property. I wish it was. It's because I used to live in a different city and the market crashed and has not come back and I can't get rid of it. So I rent it out. But the person above me left their bathtub on all day. Oh, no. Oh, no. oh yes. And flooded. And she did not have insurance. Oh, no. Right. She's very lucky that I got my insurance company to pay for it. But like, you just don't know when something's going to happen and you're going to have to be the one who pays for it. So, yeah. so this is so much. So we have to protect. Yeah. So when you work, I mean, these seven steps, it's like, it makes so much sense when you work with a, with a woman. Um, and I guess with anybody, but I know that you really, really, really are dedicated and committed to supporting women in, in their financial wealth. Do you work on all seven steps? Yeah, so the the program that I designed, which is called the 50K Wealth Multiplier Experience, because it's designed to raise your net worth by $50,000 over 24 months, we walk through for six or seven months, it's about six and a half months, we walk through each of these seven steps together, okay? So we get your money on a plan, we have a mastermind, there's a mastermind portion, we get together and provide loving support, accountability, transparent feedback, and then they get mindset coaching from me. So yeah, all, we go mm. through all seven steps. So good. So good. And, and you call it 50K. I imagine it works, right? I mean, yeah, this is so, what I thought. Well, I went through your, through your information before having you on and reading all these women who like, they actually were, I don't know if they're all making the bank, but they're certainly they increasing their net worth, all of them. Yeah. Last year. So we did exit interviews. I calculated all the results and the numbers. I commissioned a white paper. I had a, a writer write a white paper to to talk about the results because so we had promised fifty thousand dollars in net worth. The minimum we delivered was seventy seven thousand, and the maximum was five hundred and thirty four thousand dollars in increased net worth. Isn't that amazing? Wow, yeah. Hillary, yeah, you are a profit boss. You are a rock star. Yeah, my goddess, and that is amazing. It was super fun. I love saying that number. So for nine women who completed the program, we essentially promised them four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in total net worth increase. Because so nine times fifty is four hundred and fifty, and what we delivered was one point five five million. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, super fun. It works. This stuff works. I'm telling you, it's so not, good. It's not woo woo. <laughs> wow, wow. And that's something you do every year. This program. Yes, yes. We're I do it once a year, and we're about to open up applications for the program for 2019. Oh, incredible! This is so, so, so good. You've given us so much, Hillary. We in the show notes, we'll make sure everybody has that link. But tell us real quick, where do people find you? Sure. I'm at HillaryHendershot.com. Hillary has one L and Hendershot has two T's. You can go to directly to the program website. If you're interested, you can download that white paper or put your name on the interest list or apply at 50kwealthmultiplier.com. And if you'd like to check out Profit Boss Radio, I'm everywhere you listen to podcasts. I love it. I love it. This is so important. And, you know, one thing we didn't get into, Hillary, is you also are the mother of a child with a 
sudden and chronic illness. Yeah. And you, the way that you live your life truly in service to others while you have so much going on in your own personal life is truly inspiring. Thank you. And really, it's just, it's awe-inspiring and and I'm honored and I'm grateful that you have been with us and giving us and me so much advice here on the Purpose Girl podcast. Thanks. So I, I have to ask you, I like to do this thing at the end of all my podcasts when I'm interviewing somebody. It's called the Purpose Power Play Round. And I'm just going to ask you a couple of very random questions. And whatever's the first thing that comes to your mind is the right answer. Okay. You down? I'm down. Always down. Okay. Okay. Always down. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. When you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? President of the United States. Yes! <laughs> Hillary, I've been doing this for about a year, and no one has answered that. So, <laughs> bravo. No! Uh, this is like, yes! Okay, Hillary for president. I'm all down. This is so good. Okay. I actually own that domain, uh, hillaryforpresident.com, but my name has one L, right? Oh! They took it. They took no. it. I swear. It, I owned that domain. I used it to run for president of my my business school class. And um, I can't remember if I won. No, I don't think I won. I, I can't. I honestly can't. Why is that missing from my memory? And then I went back to look at my domain registration and guess who owns it? No. I'm not lying. Oh, I believe you, girl. <laughs> this is so fascinating. I know. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, it's going to have to be like Hillary H for president.com or right? something like that. Yeah. Profit boss. You, you profit boss for, for president. Do you have a sense of what it was about being president that was like really you were really into? I just thought I could do anything. And I, yes. I, I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't into politics. There was no reality to it. It was just like, yeah, I want to be president. I, I also wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. Oh, I love this. See, I always think that whatever we wanted to be when we were a kid is very telling. It doesn't have to be the exact job, but it really is about being in your power. I mean, when I hear someone who wants to be president of the United States, they're a leader, they want to be in their power, they want to run things. And like, really, you are. I you might not be president yeah. of the United States, but you are president of this like growing global money community for women. Like this is hugely important. I love this. Okay, question number two. A book every woman must read. Oh, uh, The Entrepreneurial Myth. Hmm. Have you read it? No. Yeah. So I have it. So they shortened it to the e myth, and I thought it was e myth like email for a long time. I thought I don't what, what is that book? I don't know. But I read it. I, it changed my life. Changed how I run my business. I make all my employees read it. We run. I run my business from it. Like I mean, in its in its formulation, the way it recommends you run a business, and um, it's really it's like I, I think it's the business owner's bible. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay, I have to go get it. Thank you. I yeah. love it. Okay. Last question. How would you define your purpose? Uh, so my my infinite concern for the world is that women live free and abundant lives. And mm. yeah, that's what gets me up. That's what it's painted on the wall of my office. And it's how we it's how we create everything we do. Amazing. Totally gorgeous. Yeah. Totally badass. Such a rock star. Such a purpose girl. I love it. <laughs> Hillary, I cannot thank you enough. You have just inspired me to no end. You've taught me so much. And I know for everybody out there, thank you. Thanks. 
to all of you out there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Purpose Girl podcast. If you loved it, and we hope that you did, then please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you loved about this episode. You leaving those reviews is making a difference. Because of you, women all over the world, from Singapore, from Malta, from Luxembourg, Canada, all over the United States, women all over the world are finding the Purpose Girl podcast, and it's because of you leaving those reviews. Please go ahead, download this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and share this episode with every woman that you know needs to get on top of their money game. And pretty much that's every woman we know. So please spread this widely in your office, spread this widely with your family, spread this widely. We want to make this information available all over. If you haven't yet, please go over to Facebook, join the free Purpose Girls Facebook group. We are posting all the time, my team and I, all sorts of motivation, inspiration for each of us to be living our purpose and living our happiest lives. You can find me over on Instagram at Karen Rockind. Also, of course, if you have not yet gotten your free Living on Purpose guide, go over to PurposeGirl.com and you'll also get my weekly tips. And of course, I love, love, love hearing from you. So go over to Purpose Girl and send me a message or any of the social media channels. I love hearing from you and what else you want to hear on the Purpose Girl podcast. We are changing the world one woman at a time. Thanks so much. Have a beautiful day. May you live purposefully. May you love yourself and may you love life. Bye for now.